we come before you this evening acknowledging that you, you are God, and um, we thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to gather together, to worship you, to hear from your word tonight. God, I pray that um, as we open your word that you would speak to it, speak to each of our lives, help, um, help this parable to jump off the pages of scripture, help us to have ears to hear and to understand what it is that you want us to learn from this parable this evening. Thank you so much for this opportunity, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. It's good to be uh, back with you all uh, this evening in California. Um, we're going to be uh, in Luke 18 tonight, Luke 18, in, uh, starting in verse 9. And uh, as you're turning there, I, I find it amazing that no matter how much we, um, we read and study the Bible, you can always see something new in a passage that you'd never really considered before. This is a passage that's very familiar to me. I've studied this my whole life. And um, a week or so ago, um, I was reading a John MacArthur book about the parables, and he was talking about this one. And I was going, oh my goodness, that's all in that parable? I had no idea. And I, he pointed out, and I'd never seen this in this parable before, this parable teaches justification by faith. I never knew that that was in there. I didn't know that any of Jesus' parables covered that particular theology. But it's in here as, as plain as day, and so I'm excited to show that to you this evening. So Luke chapter 18, and by the way, that's like the main point. That's not even like a side point, and I somehow missed it. Um, but we're not going to miss it tonight. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. So Luke 18, we're going to start in verse 9. He, meaning Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what is the overall point of this parable? I kind of already gave it away. Justification by faith. The key word in this passage is justified. Jesus says that one of the men was justified, but the other was not. In other words... This parable is about salvation. Jesus is telling us that one of these men it died and went to heaven eventually, and the other died and went to hell. One of them was saved, one of them was not saved. That's what this parable is about. Jesus is telling us how a person gets saved. Now, I'm not the kind of person that highlights or underlines in my Bible. I don't just, as a general rule, I don't write in books. If you write in books and you write in your Bible, I, I won't look, I promise, I would circle the word justified. I think that is the key word in this parable. And uh, we'll see that as we go on. This parable contrasts justification by faith versus justification by works. To analyze this parable, we're going to look at what these two men had in common, and then we're going to look at what was different between them. And we're going to see that one was attempting justification by faith and the other by works. So what did they have in common? Notice that both of these men are Jewish. Both of them 
had some understanding of the Old Testament and both professed to believe in the God of the Old Testament. Both men went up to the temple to pray to the one true God. Why do I say all that? Well, we're not talking about like neither of these men was a pagan, neither was a Gentile. These are, these are Jews who, who profess to believe in God. But there's something else that these men have in, pro, in common, and that is that they both have a problem. Both of these men are sinners. They know God's righteous commandments. They know what God has commanded of them. And both of them have fallen short. Not just once, but over and over and over again in their thoughts. And yes, God judges our thoughts. These men were nowhere near where they needed to be in their thoughts. In their actions, in their motives, and in their words. They had sinned against God in every way imaginable. Consequently, both of these men had provoked God's just wrath. Barring some saving action on God's part, both of these men were destined to spend an eternity in hell. And it's something that they both deserved. This is something they had in common as they went to the temple that day. What's different between these two men? Well, simply put, one of these men understood reality. He understood that he was a sinner. He understood that he needed the mercy of God. And as a result, he was saved. The other was so deceived by his own sin and his own self-righteousness that he came to God not asking for mercy, but bragging about who he was. He didn't understand reality. And as a result, he went away unsaved. So let's look at the Pharisee first. Notice how truly terrible the prayer of the Pharisee is. Like, this is just awful. For starters, it's all about him. Did you notice that in the parable? It's all about him. There's no mention of God anywhere in his prayer other than the opening address. The rest of the parable is about him. He doesn't say, how great thou art. He wasn't singing how great thou art in his prayer. He wasn't talking about how great God was. He wasn't talking about God's mercy, his grace. He wasn't asking God for forgiveness. There was nothing about God. It wasn't about God's goodness. It was about the Pharisees' goodness. He was there to worship himself. He wasn't there to worship God. And of course, anybody who's self-righteous, he starts by favorably comparing himself to the sins of others. And this is kind of a game we all like to play, right? So I'm, I'm really good at this personally. If I'm reading the Bible and I see a list of sins, my eyes will immediately latch onto something in the list that I don't think I'm guilty of, and then I feel really good about myself. And I ignore the rest of the list that are all things that I am guilty of, right? So I love the lists that have drunkenness in it. I don't drink alcohol at all, so if there's a list that says drunkenness, I'm like, boom, I got this one. I'm, I'm doing great, right? And I'll skip over the like eight things before and after it many of which I actually am guilty of. That's what our prideful hearts do. And that's what this Pharisee is doing. He's looking, you know, he's got a list of sins he's not committing, and maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Um, but he feels good about himself because he sees other people's sins, and he goes, well, I'm not committing those sins, so I'm doing okay. You know, there's an old saying that if you and your buddy are being chased by a bear, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just got to be faster than your friend. And... As a side note, if you ever see me out running, that's so if, you know, we end up out and being chased by a bear, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the race, right? Not against the bear, I just got to outrun you. This is how we tend to approach salvation, right? I don't, I don't have to be perfectly righteous. I don't have to meet God's standard. I just have to be better than everybody else. And as long as I'm outrunning them and there's plenty of people behind me, they'll catch God's wrath and I won't because I'm, I'm doing better. 
after he highlights everyone else's sin, he goes on to boast about the good things he was doing. He's, he mentions that he fasts twice a week. Do you know that's not an Old Testament requirement, fast twice a week? Now, the Pharisee knew that. What's he telling God? He's saying, okay, God, here, here's the thing. Your righteous standard is here, and I'm actually up here. I am exceeding your standard. Not only am I getting into heaven, I'm getting into heaven with extra credit because I've gone above and beyond what you have required of me. I'm sure the Pharisee was very impressed with himself, and I'm sure God wasn't impressed at all. For one, God requires a whole lot more righteousness out of this Pharisee than what he was getting. This Pharisee hadn't even scratched the surface of God's righteous requirements. And then beyond that, by doing things with wrong motives, which he most certainly was, none of his good deeds counted for anything anyway. Um, and for more on that, you can see Matthew chapter 6. At the, end of this day, at the end of the day, this Pharisee believed he was going to heaven because he was righteousness. We throw around the term often self-righteous, and a lot of people use it out of context. This is the right context. This Pharisee was self-righteous. He believed that he was righteous based on who he was and based on what he had done. Notice how Luke says at the beginning of this in verse 9, he also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's who Jesus is going after here in his audience. There's people in his audience, Pharisees, who are doing the same thing as the Pharisee in the parable, and that's who Jesus is going after with this. The man in the parable believed that he would stand before God in judgment, and he would be admitted into heaven because he was better than other people, because he was a Jew, and because he went above and beyond the requirements of the law. And he's convinced, I'm, I'm good. Not, not only like, you know, maybe God would be nice and let him into heaven, but like God owed him heaven at this point after all that he had done to go above and beyond, beyond God's standard. Keep in mind that Jesus is at this point soon going to be going to the cross to die for sinners. What does that mean to this Pharisee? Nothing. This Pharisee doesn't need somebody to die for his sin. What sin? Right? As far as he's concerned, he's got heaven earned on his own. He doesn't need a savior. Why did the Pharisees reject Jesus? They didn't need a savior. They thought they had it already nailed down. So now the tough question. Are we like the Pharisee? And I think, I hope, that in a church like this, none of us are trusting in our own righteousness for salvation. But I think in some sense, we all tend to go this way. One of the things I want to say about self-righteousness, and if you hear nothing else about the idea of self-righteousness, please hear this. It's not always tied to religion. I think our culture really sees self-righteousness as a religious problem. I think a lot of times in our culture, it's tied to politics, right? Um, I think in our culture, a lot of times it's tied to many other things outside of religion. If you hear somebody in the culture today talk about self-righteousness, they're usually referring to religious people, but you don't have to be religious to be self-righteous. You can, in fact, be a, a very self-righteous atheist. So how are we like this Pharisee? Well, my first thought when I read this is, okay, thank goodness I'm not like that clown. But of course, the second that that thought goes through my head, guess what? Right? I, I, just, I, just, did the, I just did the parable. Um, we all tend to be like that. I would wager that most believe, Americans believe that if there is a God and if there is a heaven and hell, they will go to heaven because they are good people. I would bet that over 90% of Americans believe that. 
So let me give you some like sample prayers that you might hear from a self-righteous American today. First one, God, thank you that I'm not like one of those MAGA people who are intolerant and hateful. Unlike them, I care about immigrants, the poor and the marginalized. So somebody who would pray a prayer like that they believe that they are warriors in this battle of good versus evil, and they're on the right side of it. And they probably don't believe in hell, but if they do, it's going to be the MAGA people who are going there. They deserve it. They're what's wrong with the world. And these people, are they're, they're fighting for truth. They're on the right side of it. They're self-righteous based on this political bent. There are other people who their prayer might be, God, thank you that I'm not one of those woke people who are destroying everything. Unlike them, I care enough about people to tell the truth, and I promote policies that actually help people. See, once again, if you're in that category, these are people who believe, hey, there's this big battle going on for, for, of good versus evil. I'm on the good side, right? If God's going to start judging people, I'm, I'm going to be okay because I'm on the side that's fighting for good. If there is a hell, the woke people are going there. I'm on the good side. Surely God is on my team self-righteousness. Now, some of you are ready to nod along with both of those, and you're like, I'm sick of politics. 100%, those people are self-righteous. You might pray something like, God, thank you that I'm not one of those political people who argues about everything. Unlike them, I just focus on being kind and loving others. Again, here, the self-righteousness is based not on I'm fighting for the right side, but on I'm not fighting at all. I'm just being nice. Right? But again, it's a form of self-righteousness. I'm a good person because this is how I approach these things. God, thank you that I recycle. God, thank you that I'm not one of those people who sits in the left lane when I'm not passing anybody. God, thank you that I'm not one of those people who doesn't return their shopping cart to one of the corrals. Right? We have these like things that we're proud of ourselves because we're better than other people. They do these things. I don't do these things. I'm better than them. And if, if Jesus comes back and he starts judging people, he's going to see that I'm not like them. He's going to see that I'm better than that. We're all tempted to be like this, right? I would hope, again, in a church like this, that none of us are trusting in our salvation like that, like the Pharisee was. But we can still be tempted to have that kind of an attitude. The problem is, if that's your sense of righteousness and you believe you're going to get into heaven based on the goodness that you do and the fact that you don't do bad things that other people do, that's not going to work. This view of righteousness, righteousness leads to only one place, and that's hell. The truth is that every single one of us has sinned. We have fallen well short of God's standard. Every single one of us deserves hell. To pretend that we're in good shape because we're better than other people is ridiculously ignorant and arrogant. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to God's standard. And when we do that, we see that we fall well short. So like the Pharisee in the parable, if we believe we're going to heaven because we're good people, then we are for sure not going to heaven. Our self-righteousness leads to only one place, and that's hell. So that's the Pharisee. Nice guy, right? Let's talk about the tax collector. Unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector rightly understood reality. He understood God, um, that he stood before God, fully understanding that he was a sinner, and he was deserving of God's wrath. He was so ashamed of his sin. Notice it says he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. It was like he couldn't look God in the eye. And he beat his breast. This is like a physical manifestation of grief. And he begged God for mercy. And what happened? God saved him. 
God saved him. You're going, wait, what? but he didn't do anything to earn it. it. This doesn't even say like his life changed and he gave away his money and he quit his job. It doesn't say any of that. Jesus says this man went to his house justified that night. All he had done was ask for mercy. That's it. Why? Why does God save him but not the tax collector? Objectively speaking, if you weighed the sin of the two, I bet the tax collector had more sin than the Pharisee. So why does the tax collector get saved and the Pharisee doesn't? The truth is that God only saves one kind of person. There is only one kind of person that God saves. Now, to be sure, God saves people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. He saves men and women. He saves old people and young people, tall people and short people, poor people and rich people, Giants fans, and occasionally Dodgers fans, right? God saves a lot of different kinds of people, but they all have one thing in common. They all get to a point where the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, and they come before God with complete humility, begging God for mercy. They realize that their only shot of going to heaven is if God shows them mercy. They, there's no way that I'm going to heaven based on my own merit. I know that I've fallen short. This is an irreparable situation. And we throw ourselves at the feet of God, and those are the people that God saves. Jesus opened up his um, famous sermon on the mount with this line, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What, what does poor in spirit mean? Well, it's those who, who recognize their spiritual poverty. They come before God and they go, I'm, I am spiritually bankrupt. I can't earn my way into heaven. And Jesus says, yes, those people are blessed and the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. That's the only way we come to God is with our hands empty. The only thing in our hands is our sin. That's all we bring to God. Notice the last line of the parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Those who come to God, in other words, with their arrogant self-righteousness will be humbled, meaning that they will not enter heaven. They will, they will be judged. They will be condemned. But the one who comes to God with humility, fully acknowledging a complete dependence on God for salvation, that person will be saved. Now, we've um, talked a mostly about our relationship to God here, but notice Jesus says at the end of verse 9 that he told this to people who were um, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This goes to the way we treat other people too. See, if God can save this tax collector, we don't consider anyone beyond God's reach or beneath us morally. God can save the MAGA person and the woke person. God can even save the people who don't return their shopping carts, right? Far be it from us to determine that somebody is beneath us. See, because this Pharisee, like his whole self-righteousness thing, he's, he's not reaching out to the tax collector and telling him how to be saved. As far as he's concerned, like, he doesn't even need to be in the same room with this guy. This guy's trash. How does the tax collector feel? He feels like trash. Is there anybody who this tax collector thinks is beneath him? No. He thinks of himself so lowly, he's so humble, that he sees other people and um, he wants to reach out to them. He, uh, he doesn't see himself as better than others. And that's the problem with the self-righteousness. When you start to believe that you've earned your way into heaven, you start to look down on people who haven't. Um, but when you come to God and you recognize that you've come to God empty-handed, or as we're going to sing very soon, all I have is Christ, when that's your attitude towards God, then you look at other sinners and you're like, oh my goodness, come on, come on. I, I know where you can be saved. I know where you can find help. 
because I'm, I'm no better than you. Um, and really, if you're truly a Christian and you've been doing um, a lot of spiritual work, most people you're going to say, I'm probably worse than you. Why? Because I'm intimately familiar with my own sin. I have to put up myself, put up with myself all day, every day. It's tiring, right? I don't know your sin that well because I don't follow you around all the time. I don't know what's going on in your head, right? So I think that you're better than I am because I see all my sin. I don't see all your sin. Does that kind of make sense? Right? But the self-righteous person, they don't see their own sin. They just see other people's sin. So this is where these two attitudes lead. As we wrap this up, I want to note that we know something today that these guys in the parable didn't. Now, they, they certainly knew about the mercy of God. That is all over the pages of the Old Testament, right? God's mercy is a big theme in the Old Testament. So this tax collector that throws himself at the mercy of God, he has every reason to trust God to be merciful. He could have known that from the Old Testament. What he didn't know is that God would forgive our sins by pouring out his wrath on his own son in our place. See, God's mercy to this tax collector, this tax collector had an enormous debt, an enormous moral debt from his sin. It was a debt he would never be able to pay, and when he pleaded with God for mercy, what did God do? Did God just look the other way and cancel his debt and say, don't worry about it, You're, it, it really wasn't a big deal anyway, You're just, don't even, just pretend the sin never happened? That wasn't God's attitude at all. Every single sin that tax collector committed was paid. Every single sin that tax collector committed was punished to the fullest extent that it deserved. Where God showed mercy to him is that instead of the tax collector receiving that wrath, Jesus received it in his place. God poured out that wrath on Jesus in place of the tax collector so the tax collector would go free. And this is something, of course, that um, they wouldn't have known, but we now have the benefit of having the whole New Testament, and we can see that this was God's plan for us. This is how God saves us. So I think this, this parable is a great reminder for us. We see a lot of darkness in our world today. Um, if you don't, uh, good job. You're not on the internet. You're not outside. Like, that's great. Um, but <laughs> for those who go outside sometimes, we see a lot of darkness in our world today. And it's very easy to develop a sense of superiority. We can feel like the Pharisee did. You know, maybe I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like those people, right? We can all develop that. And yet, how is it that we were saved? If you are in Christ, it's because you came to God just like this tax collector did. You came to God humble, knowing you didn't deserve anything but judgment from him. And like the tax collector, you asked God for mercy. And like the tax collector, you went away justified. Our justification, as we see very clearly in this passage, is by faith alone. We go to heaven not because we are righteous, but because Jesus imputed his righteousness to us. So that's justification by faith. It's right here in this parable of Jesus. Praise God for his mercy on undeserving people like us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, this parable. Thank you so much, God, that you have saved us undeserving people, every single one of us, undeserving. God, we've only deserved your wrath and um, because of your mercy, not because of our goodness, but because of your mercy. Um, you chose to pour out your wrath on your own son to set us free, to forgive us, to cleanse us from our sins. And God, all, all we have now is to cling to you and your mercy and to thank you for all it is that you have done for us. Thank you so much for that, God, and help us 
um, this evening and with the rest of our lives to truly worship you from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.